Do you know, I sometimes I joke with the staff team when we're um, thinking about how to best serve you and stuff. I suddenly some, sometimes find myself joking, and it is a joke, honestly. I say, you know, it'd be a lot simpler if nobody turned up. <laughs> there were no people here. It'd be a lot simpler if the church was shrinking um, rather than growing. Um, but of course, I don't really want that, and I don't really mean that. The church, since Jesus inaugurated it 2,000-odd years ago, has been growing all over the world, and that's a good thing. (laughs) In our nation, nowadays, the church is shrinking. What's gone wrong? What are we doing wrong? Are we missing something? What is it that we are missing or might need that might bring back the growth of the church that we long to see? And maybe I need to go back a step further. Do we long to see the church grow? Do we long to see our friends and family come to know Jesus? Do we? Oh, good, I'm getting to, I wasn't necessarily expecting interactivity. You're very Pentecostal. Brilliant. Keep going. <laughs> if you agree at any point, you can say hallelujah or amen as well. I'll, I'll absorb that. But um, have a quick buzz with the people around you. If you're, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're super welcome. We love that you're here. You're the best people here and you're exploring. But if you are here and you're a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, can you have just a quick think to yourself if you want an introverted moment, or quick buzz with the person around you if they don't feel look so scary and you want to chat about it, and you're an extrovert, um, and just say how it is that, just try and remember back how it is you came to faith. Was there a particularly key message or a moment of prayer or an example of faith that you saw in someone else? What was it that helped bring you to faith? Have a quick thought to yourself or buzz with the person around you. And I'll reconvene in a couple of minutes. Okay. Begin to draw those conversations um, to a close. I would... um I know some of your stories of faith. I'd love to know. I'd love to know all of them. Um, but uh, maybe you had some fun, either reminiscing to yourself or, or with others, as to what made the difference for you. In, in today's Bible passage, we see three people whose lives are transformed. And uh, they're transformed in different ways. I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work in kind of your sections of the church on the three characters. It's not just me up at the front here. We do this together So um, at this church. Um, but... whilst the church in this nation, you see, may have been, may be shrinking at the moment, it's not always been the case in this nation at all, which is why we are where we are, and I believe it's not the end of the story for the church in this nation. One of the speakers at the conference I was um, just at, well, well, lots of them were speaking very positively about this. One guy's just come off a 40-day fast, praying for revival in our nation. In fact, his whole life, he's called Pastor Agra Rukru, he leads um, Jesus House in London. He's been praying his whole life, really, for revival. He became a Christian because his dad became a Christian as a result of a missionary from England going out to Nigeria. And he felt a call from a young age as a teenager to come back to the UK and re-evangelize the UK and return as gratitude for the message of the gospel that was taken out to him and his family, his father. He'd come off a 40-day fast. And actually, if you looked at his his kind of profile picture in the, um, in the like, conference booklet. You could tell he'd been on a 40-day fast. <laughs> he'd lost a lot of weight. Um, but isn't, that's amazing. 
He's passionate, desperate that the Lord would move again in this nation as he has in the past in a mighty way to bring people to faith. Uh, Simon Gilbo is another one of the speakers who was speaking passionately about the urgency of evangelism, the beauty of the message that we have in the gospel that still is the power of God for the salvation of whoever believes in him. He's talking about the growth of the church worldwide, massive growth of the church worldwide, just not so much in this nation, in Western Europe as much. In Iran, there's pretty much revival going on at the moment. In parts of Asia and South America, the church is growing rapidly. This message still changes lives today. And um, it confounds the, 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 the humanists, the secularists, the, the neo-atheists. Because they thought years ago, really since the, the Enlightenment, that, that faith was just going to dwindle and shrink. And um, many of them confess openly. I remember reading an article in the newspaper not too long ago a kind of open frustration and confusion as to why faith and religion is still so much a part, maybe more of a part ten year, than 10 years ago, of our world, of the narrative in the world, and even in this nation. But the challenge still remains to us here in Merley to be a church that knows the message of the gospel, that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that in our lives, our living lives, that express something of the gospel. Because in the stories we have today, we see a bit of all of those things being relevant to the different people in our story. Uh, before we go any further, though, um, what I'd love to do is I'd love to invite Katie Jack up onto the stage. Because um, last week, we prayed for um, the Lent addresses that were taking place at Camford School. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And um, Katie's husband, Phil, is the chaplain there. In fact, Phil's speaking to us next week on Revelation. Um, but you guys have been busy this week um, trying to share with young people, a lot of very secular, I think it's fair to say, um, young people, something of the hope of the gospel, um, trying to reason with them in some way. How's, how's it gone? Tell us what's happened yeah, well, in the last it's week. It's been great. So thank you very much if you were praying for us, because God's heard our prayers, and it's been a wonderful week. It's been really encouraging. Um, we started on Sunday with what we call Text a Toasty, so we went into all the boarding houses with a team from um, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, and apologetics is not us saying sorry for being a Christian. It's a reasoned <laughs> defence of our faith, so it's being able to stand up and say, Christianity makes sense. You can ask questions. God's not scared. <laughs> ask your questions. So we went into the boarding houses, and it was wonderful. They had between 12 and 30 kids in each house came. They put their request for a toasty and their question, their big question, and then we spent a couple of hours answering them. So that was amazing. And then every day we had, Phil was very pleased with it. He called them philosophers. <laughs> and um, so they had supper, but they had um, an incredible guy who was a doctor, but also a philosopher, and he came and he did really interesting talks on sort of bioethics and um, abortion and euthanasia and lots of big questions, so the kids loved that. That was really stretching. And then in the evening, we had great talks on um, the, the second speaker. He did his doctorate in film and Christianity, so he's really into kind of looking at culture and Christianity and how they mash. And um, so he did talks on Love Island, looking for love in a world of lust. Um, obviously got to Jesus quite easily there. <laughs> um, then he did, the second one was on drones, AI, and technology. Where is our hope? So obviously got to, we don't need to kind of make our bodies better and better because in heaven, God's going to give us body 2.0. It's going to be amazing. And, um, and then the third one was on fake news. Where can we find truth in a world of lies? 
and holding out actually Jesus is the truth. And so it was wonderful because he really was a man of integrity. He answered the questions on the table. So the kids felt they came to a talk that, you know, it wasn't like come to a talk on drones and look, we're going to do a Bible passage on Lazarus. You know, their kids actually got, this is what they came to hear. But every time he pointed them to Jesus, and it just meant that afterwards we had probably about an hour, particularly the six formers, just stayed and their questions, they just kept on coming. And they were really Jesus-centered questions as well. So it was great. Amazing. Yeah. Praise God. And um, that's fantastic. I know Phil's at chapel this morning, but do encourage him. And um, it's lovely to hear that. It's amazing to hear that. And, um, and actually, you know, uh, there are some surveys that have been done recently. Um, uh, there was one by YouGov, commissioned by the Bible Society, uh, asking 20,000 people that represented the whole of the UK about their openness to faith in different matters and their openness to the understanding of the Bible or what role the Bible played in their lives. You'd be amazed, I think, and surprised at how many people still associate themselves with it. Over 50% of people would still call themselves religious in some way, would, would say they have some kind of faith. 25% of people who were surveyed who weren't necessarily Christians at all said they would love to find out more about the Bible and its relevance for their lives. 25% of people in this country. Uh, this survey revealed that there were some people that were on one side of the argument who, like, um, love the Bible. 5% said that they love the Bible, that it was a daily influence and inspiration guide for their lives. A lot of those would have been churchgoers, but not all of them. And then over on the other side, there were some confirmed atheists. But in the middle, there was a huge gap of people who are spiritually open or are open to an invitation to church or to a discussion, to a question um, about faith, to discuss the rationality of it, the power of it, what relevance it has to their lives. Simon Gilbo, when he spoke, he's been doing evangelism in Burundi for years and is now based back in the UK and is trying to lead a new um, kind of outreach. And his experience, actually, on the streets is that people are surprisingly open to being prayed for or having someone share the gospel with them. I think we do sometimes underestimate how spiritually curious and spiritually hungry a lot of people are. They know that life is not all okay. They know that the world is a mess. They are searching for a better story. They don't know that Christianity has the answer to that, as we believe, as we as Christians believe that it does, but they're curious. And in, in our passage today, we find the spectrum of different people. We find a, a, a wealthy trader, a wealthy, kind of intelligent, quite religious, spiritual searching trader called Lydia. We find a slave girl who is at the bottom, not wealthy or at all religious, a slave girl who's possessed, like completely end of the scale. And then we find like working class man, retired soldier, jailer. It's just like your, like your run-of-the-mill, blue-collar worker, man's man. And the message from that is that the gospel is for everyone. Everyone. And the, the message of the church would be today that still the gospel is for everyone. It's the hope of the world. And, um, but we're going to do a little bit more in depth of these three characters. I'm going to get you to do some work. 
because you've been sat still for too long. Unless you're Katie, you've been sat still too long. So um, uh, what I'd love you to do is grab your, if you brought a Bible with you, grab your Bible and turn it to Acts 16 or fire up your device that has the Bible on it. And again, you have complete permission to be introverted and say, I don't want to speak to anybody else and do this for yourself. But it might be more fun to gather in twos or threes, be brave, um, and uh, quickly look at these three characters. Now, if you're over in this section of the church, look up here. If you're over in this section of the church, I'd love you to have a quick look at the character of Lydia. And I'd like you to have a look at these verses, not many verses, um, to, to ask a question of each of them. So uh, for Lydia, you're reading from... Uh, verse 14 to 15, or 13 to 15, 13 to 15. Uh, in the middle here, you're looking at the slave girl, um, and uh, can you read um, verses 16 to 18, 16 to 18, to see her story of transformation? And then this group, can you have a look at the jailer? And for the jailer, you can read verses 25 to 30, 25 to 30. Okay? Has everybody got the verses they're going to be looking at? Just have a quick look, read yourself, and the question I'm asking you is what was the crucial thing for this person, do you think, that made the difference for them in kind of coming to faith or their encounter with God? What was the crucial thing for each of these characters? So Lydia, um, the slave girl, and the jailer. Is that all right? Quickly, quickly buzz. Again, another couple of minutes, I'll draw us back together. Okay. I'm going I'm to push you, I'm going to suggest you draw your discussions to a close, and um, just to shake it up, I'm going to change up the order, I'm going to start over here um, this time. So, if you were over this side of the church, you were looking at um, the jailer, um, what do you think in the story of the jailer, what, what was the crucial thing for the jailer in coming to faith in the story that you can see? What did you discuss? What did you say? Anybody willing to shout out? Brilliant. Okay, the witness, the kind of character witness of Paul and Silas, even in very difficult circumstances. We'll come back to that. Actually, no, we'll just deal with it. Now. What's happening there is, is amazing, and it's stunning. So these guys, we're kind of mixing up the order here, but Paul and Silas have been beaten unjustly without trial for releasing a slave girl from persecution, basically. And basically, her, her pimps that are making money off her are angry, and they've stirred up a crowd that's beaten them unjustly without trial, and they've been thrown in jail, where they were totally shown no mercy at all. So this jailer, um, we know that he didn't clean or dress their wounds or look after them at all, because he doesn't do that until later when he's at their house. He doesn't do it when they arrive. They're like dripping with blood, open wounds having been beaten to within an inch of their lives, probably. And then they're put in stocks. The stocks that they have there, they know archaeologically. The stocks kind of, I don't know exactly what they look like, but basically they stretch the legs like this, so that they had to stand kind of uncomfortably when they were in these stocks, which, which brought on cramp quicker. It made it even more agonizing for them just to, to be there in the jail. Um, and yet, in the middle of the night, these people who have been beaten unjustly, to an inch of their lives, have open wounds, are in agony, are praising God, leading a prayer meeting, providing such witness that when an earthquake happens, either by God or by just circumstance, and they could flee, 
they could go free, which is surely what anybody would do in that situation. And it's what, it, we know it's what anybody would do in that situation because it's what the jailer assumes. When he comes and sees that the doors are open, what does he assume? He assumes they've left. Of course they've fled. Why would, why would they stay? Of course they've gone. So I'll do the honorable thing that an ex-Roman soldier will do, and I'll kill myself, because that's what's coming to me anyway. So I'll just do it. It's very pragmatic. And clearly, in some way, in the light, in the door, Paul and Silas see him, and they say, stop, don't do it, we're all here. Now, why is that so powerful? Not just the singing during the thing, but so powerful to the guy. Well, what's happened here is people who were abused and unjustly tried and beaten with an inch of their life, whom he showed no compassion and mercy, have decided to stay so that he doesn't die. They've extended mercy to him when he showed none to them. They've saved his life when he did nothing to help them. You see, what Paul and Silas and the others there are showing is they're showing Christ-like character and witness. Can you think of anybody else who was beaten with an inch of their life unfairly without a just trial and extended mercy to the very people that were persecuting him? They were living the gospel. They were demonstrating in their very lives in the toughest of moments that something inside of them had transformed and was transforming them. So that even in the darkest of moments, in a jail, in agony, they can worship God and they can put the life of the jailer that's been persecuting them before their own. It's extraordinary. No other explanation is needed. The jailer falls at their feet and says, how can I be saved? I don't know whether there's anybody here who's, who's witnessed something in somebody else or a believer and has just gone, part of their story is, I want what they've got. There's something about the way that they live their lives. There's something about their peace in troubled times. There's something about, they've got something I haven't. Anybody in their Christian story encountered somebody who they've got, they've got something I haven't? Raise a hand. That's that. We as individuals, as a church, need to ask that the Spirit of God would continually be at work to so transform our lives that we would be living, breathing witnesses to the Jesus we serve and who changed our lives. They're able to extend mercy because they've been extended mercy. They're able to forgive because they've been forgiven. We as Christians need to do the same thing. Where this week might you have the opportunity to extend unexpected mercy, to show compassion, to seek justice, to, to show radical generosity? Where just in the daily pressures of your work life might you be able to show peace that for somebody else goes, what's going on there? They've got something I haven't. And by the way, believe it, you do have something they don't have. Because that same power that Jesus had is in all of us by the Holy Spirit. You do look and smell and breathe different. You're different because of what Jesus has done in your life. You are. 
And God is calling you the rest of the week, not on Sunday here, the rest of the week to be in places where you might be a witness for him. And that witness has been changing lives for two millennia and more, which is why the church continues to grow, because it actually makes a difference. I remember somebody coming up um, to Nicky Gumbel on an Alpha course, and they said a very millennial kind of like um, postmodern thing. They said, I don't care if it's true, I just want to know if it works. Because <laughs> they knew something was wrong with their life and their heart. They were circular. Does it work? Now, of course, <laughs> Alpha went on to prove that it's also true, that it's reliable, that there are good reasons, as they were saying at Camford, to believe what we believe. We're not all just nutcases. I mean, some of you are pretty nutty, but that's... <laughs> Um, and I'm the strangest of the lot. No. <laughs> but, um, but there's good reason to believe it. Our lives are called to be a witness. Um, again, just shaking it up. Let's go over here this time. So over here we've got Lydia. Now, what was key for Lydia? Why did Lydia come to faith? Anybody want to shout out? Because her heart was open. Brilliant. You should do the talk. Um, <laughs> brilliantly explained. Lydia is spiritually hungry or spiritually curious. She, she worships God. She's gone to a place of prayer, but she doesn't know Jesus yet. She's hungry. She's exploring. Her heart, by the Holy Spirit, is made open to Paul's message. God enables him to articulate what Jesus has done for her in such a way that it is compelling and winsome for her. It makes sense. She realizes the truth of it and receives it for herself. We need to be a church that feel equipped and able to tell our faith stories and to share the story of Jesus with people. Uh, we, we did it in the first service, decided not to include it in the second service, but I asked people what they found most difficult about evangelism, what they found difficult. Uh, the top ones were kind of, I'm worried I'm going to make them feel uncomfortable, or I'm a bit uncomfortable, I don't know where to start the conversation, all of those kind of things. You probably echo similar things. But the need is too urgent for us just to rely on a few extraordinary evangelists like Simon Gilbert or Tom Price, who was at Camford, he was one of the speakers at Camford School. All of us are called to evangelism, even if we're not naturally gifted evangelists. And I'm not naturally gifted as an evangelist. But all of us are called to evangelism. And one of the things that people said is, I wouldn't know where to start. I wouldn't know how to tell the story. Well, we can help with that. And we will run a course, probably called Mission Shaped Living, um, maybe in the autumn or Lent next year, to help us be equipped to be able to tell our story and to tell the story of the gospel in practical, relevant, simple, easy-to-understand ways. It's one of the reasons I love what The Point do at Costa Coffee on a Monday evening, is they are going to where there are some spiritually curious, hungry people who don't yet know Jesus and trying to explain him in simple ways. They do it with a free coffee, at cost of coffee, in a neutral place. Notice how in the story, 
Paul doesn't go to the synagogue, as he usually does. If you read through Acts, he nearly always, in a new place, goes to a synagogue to begin to reason with the people there about why actually the scriptures they understand from their Jewish faith actually reveal Jesus. Here, he doesn't do that. He's just broken into Europe. There's not enough people, believers in that sense, in Yahweh, for there to be a synagogue. All there needed to be was 10 men for it to be called a synagogue. There is no synagogue. There's no belief in that sense in this place. He goes outside the city walls to find the spiritually hungry people, including Lydia. We need to be a church that's willing to go where people are and outside the city walls and not in the church to reach spiritually hungry people and give them a reason for the hope that we have. Do you see? Because for her, that message was crucial. Where for the jailer, it was the witness of, a transformed, of transformed lives that was crucial. Slave girl, you guys in the middle. What did you notice about the slave girl? What was key for, for her? Okay, okay, yeah. So she's filled with the Holy Spirit and released from the demon possession that she has or whatever. Yeah. I'm going, to, I'm going to assume they mopped up the pieces after that um, and didn't just say, right, bye. <laughs> Leave. Um, but yeah, what, what was key for her? Yeah. 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 And for her, the, um, it's quite funny, actually, because Paul kind of, he prays for her because he gets annoyed by her, frankly. <laughs> she's, she's just following him around the whole day saying, these people will show you the way to salvation. They, they know the most high. Follow him. And he's like, oh, she just shut up. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to the market. And so he kind of turns around and prays for her to be released of this spirit. And she is. Instantly like that. It's a word of prayer, anointed, powerful prayer that for her releases her from what is trapped her. And notice it's not just a spiritual entrapment, it's social, economic. This is justice going on. She's released from the slavery that she had to these people. She's no longer of use to them, but she's released from their grip because she hasn't got anything. Do you see what I mean? She's being released and freed in many more ways than just spiritually. I don't know whether for you, I know for me, at different points in my faith, there's been a message to respond to, like at Lee Abbey when I was eight, when I understood the gospel through the line, the witch and the wardrobe. There have been moments in my faith that have been extraordinarily profound where someone has prayed for me and something has shifted. God has done something. And I can pinpoint the time. I was reminiscing just last night, looking through one of my journals from an event called Momentum in 2013, I think it was, when I had a key moment in response to a call to pray for leadership and those who sometimes feel lonely in leadership. Well, I think that was what I expressed. And I went forward to pray, and someone came along to pray with me, who actually I knew. I didn't know they were there at the conference. And they just prayed with me. And, and they, without asking me, knew what it was that I needed prayer for. And they just started praying. And something shifted in me. It was a significant moment. I was looking back and reminiscing on it because the person that prayed for me 
was a guy called Caleb Meekins, who died last week after a car accident, tragically, in Ethiopia, at only 32 years old. Another friend of mine that's gone this year. And, um, but he was the most, you can Google him, you can search him, the most extraordinary young man. Extraordinary young man who lived and shared the gospel. He shared the gospel with Jamie at a youth camp that I was leading. Jamie, our worship leader. He has the most extraordinary story and legacy of faith. His, his dad died when he was eight in a plane crash. And he died sharing the gospel. And we know that because one of the few people that survived the air crash, it was all over the TV, you can still find the footage crashing in the sea off Madagascar. 1994, I think it was. We know he died sharing the gospel because one of the few people to survive was an air hostess who gave her life to Jesus in the last moments before the plane came down because his dad was sharing the gospel with her. Caleb's gone on, inspired by that legacy of faith, to share the gospel with dozens. Not just share the gospel, to seek the transformation of society. He went back to Ethiopia. He's got an Ethiopian mum and an English dad. He's gone back to Ethiopia and has set up like an entrepreneurial society and has started businesses and is trying to seek the transformation of that city in really like practical, cultural shift transformation ways. Because again, that's what Christians and the Christian faith and movement has done all over the world for centuries. It believes in the renewal of all things. Christians started the earliest orphanages and hospitals. Christians were the ones that were transforming society in so many ways. They were the early pioneers of science. Don't believe that the science and religion are this irreconcilable thing. It's nonsense. The earliest pioneers and so many of the great minds of science were Christians. Anyway, Caleb did an extraordinary amount for the sake of the gospel in his short life. And he fed into me one of those moments that was profound and significant in my own faith journey. All of us need to be, be a church and a people who are hungry to be filled up with the power of God, to be used in the mission of the church. If I were to ask another question and would say, when was the last time you actually prayed practically and specifically and then followed up with someone, not just a vague, I'll pray for you, someone outside the church, when would that have been? When was the last time you prayed practically and specifically for someone outside the church for transformation, for something in their life that needed God to step in? Have you done a tax return before the last time you did that? <laughs> Have you been to the dentist the last time before you did that? We need to be a people who are longing to be filled up with the power of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we might be used to see release from captivity in so many ways and to bring hope to people that we meet in the world because we carry that power of God within us. It's just so often we don't take the opportunity. Uh, just last week, I saw some people being healed of extraordinary stuff at the conference I was at. There were people that, that shared the gospel with us and reason there were people that carried something of the power and presence of God. They had anointing for healing. And one lady who had a, he, she just got the news before she came to the conference and discovered a lump the size of an orange tumor was prayed for and the tumor completely went. There's nothing there anymore. She could feel it and it was gone. There was another guy who for 20 years had been struggling with all sorts of chronic pain after a car accident because he fell asleep at the wheel. 
Fascinatingly, the guy who was praying, John Arnott, when he, he had a word of knowledge for him. He said, there's someone who many years ago had a car accident, still suffered chronic pain. If that's you, I think there's someone here that come forward. He did. He said, have you ever forgiven yourself for causing that accident? Interesting the power that unforgiveness can sometimes have for our healing. And, and the guy said, well, I think so. I'm not sure. They prayed for him. And over a course of stages, actually, of being prayed for and being prayed for again, his pain completely went. The power of God is available to us today. Now, I don't understand the mysteries of why some people are healed, some people aren't. But I know that God heals. I'm going to keep praying and believing because it would be a trick of the enemy to stop me praying and believing because I know that he can and that he does. I've seen it. We need to be a people who know how to articulate the message of the gospel in compelling, simple ways. We need to be people who live lives of witness that mean that people sometimes might see the example of our lives that look so different to the world around them and go, they've got something I need. We need to be people of power, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the world. And I believe, I believe to the fiber of my being that whilst we don't presume on a revival, we're going to pray for a revival. Like Pastor Agu and like many, many others. And we're due one in this country, frankly. We're due one. And the circumstances of this nation and the world say that we're due one. So we don't presume upon it, but we pray for it. And in the meantime, as a church, we equip ourselves with the message. We ask the Spirit to fill us with power, and we ask him to transform our lives, that we might be a compelling witness to the Jesus that saved us in the world. Amen? Yeah, that's where you should have like a Pentecostal amen, I think. Amen? Amen. Can you stand? I'm going to pray for us.